Welcome back to the pod, everybody. I'm your host, Austin. And we got, I mean, some pretty good stuff, you know, going on this week. My friend, Josh Derringer of Survive First Contact, uh, is joining me this week. We're going to jump into something that we've mentioned before in in a whole ton of of different episodes, discussions, topics, you know, whatever, whatever have you. But we're going to dive into contingency planning and shed some light a little bit more specifically around that overall concept and some of the fundamental skills that overlap into other segments of of the preparing space, the prepping space, the community. We talk a little bit about CQB. We talk about, about vehicle work. We talk about a whole bunch of stuff. You know, if you guys have heard our, our earlier episode with Josh, you know, he's a wealth of knowledge and has a lot of real world experience with all of this stuff. And if you haven't heard that episode with me and Josh, you need to go check it out and then come back and listen to this one because Josh is a great guy. Like I said, a wealth of knowledge, super smart dude. And I'm just thrilled to be able to have him on to help me or to share his information with us. It's not, you know, this is great stuff. Um, so before I can jump into my conversation with Josh, everything that we unpacked for the episode, I have to say thank you to our presenting sponsor, EclipseHolsters.com. Guys, I say it every week when we have a new episode, we love working with Eclipse, and it's true. We do. They're a fantastic company that make outstanding products. They stand by all of their work, lifetime warranty, satisfaction, guaranteed. Don't like it, send it back, exchange it. They will hook you up. They want to make sure that above and beyond, above all else, right, you are taken care of. You are carrying confidently and safely with your firearm. They want you to love your holster so that you can carry your firearm with you. Whether it's in the waistband, maybe, you know, you need one of their Delta holsters. It's got the wing on it. It's going to help you conceal whether you're carrying an appendix, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. Maybe one of their serious holsters because you rock a light on your firearm. I think everyone should carry a light on their firearm, but not everybody does. So maybe you need the Delta without a light. Maybe you need the Sirius with a light. Both come with the wing. Both are very well made and incredibly comfortable. They got mag carriers for inside the waistband. You can even get their tourniquet carrier hooked up with one of the discrete carry concept clips. So you can carry a tourniquet with you inside the waistband as well. All kinds of options, guys. And on top of that, you can use our discount code, Prepared Mindset all one word. It's going to save 20% off of your order and it's going to support Jess and the business. And you're going to get an awesome, awesome product sent to you in three business days or less. And that's for all orders. You don't have to spend a certain dollar amount. You don't have to get a certain item. All of their orders, three business days or less are out the door on their way to you. But if you do spend over $99, you get upgraded to free FedEx two-day shipping which doesn't hurt. A little bit faster, a little more reliable than the old USPS. Again, discount code prepared mindset. That's all one word. It's going to save you 20% off the order. So you get a holster, mag carrier. They do outside the waistband. Hell, maybe you're a lady looking for a reliable way to carry. You can pick up, they have holsters that don't even need pant clips. There's all sorts of different solutions, different ideas, different concepts. And if they don't have what you're looking for, shoot Jess and team an email. Either they can get you taken care of. Maybe it's a custom job. Maybe you collaborate a little bit and they get you taken care of. And if they can't, they have friends, they have partners in the industry. They'll be able to get you over to somebody reliable 
So you can get a holster, you can get a mag carrier, you can get whatever you're looking for. You get all taken care of and all set, and you are more confident and you are safer when you carry. EclipseHolsters.com, you guys, go check them out. You're going to love them. Additionally, have to make sure that I mention our Patreon page. Guys, we're at the point with this podcast where we are trying to push to the next level. Phase two, if you will. And we launched a Patreon. It's going to put out just a little bit of extra content, uh, exclusive content that you won't get access to through our podcast. You won't get access to through our Instagram. You get access to things like we are creating some targets. Okay, we have our cold start target. We have a site picture target. Uh, The cold start, obviously, for your first reps at the range. The site picture target designed for dry fire. Additionally, you can use it for live fire, but designed for dry fire to help you build that consistency with your presentation and your site picture. Okay, there's pictures, there's going to be videos, there's audio recordings, there's articles and blog information on there, and there's going to be a whole bunch more. You can sign up and help support us for as little as a dollar a month. One dollar, three dollar, and then five dollars. Those are our patron, uh, you know, options right now. Nothing too crazy. It just helps to offset the cost of what we put out of our pocket every month to produce and host this podcast. And your support would mean the world to us. Helder patreon.com forward slash prepared underscore mindset underscore pod. Check out what's going on and consider signing up and donating today. All right. So we got that all out of the way. We can get over to my conversation with Josh again. We had a really cool chat about contingency planning, uh, planning in general, honestly, building a pace plan. You know, there's just, there's so much to unfold there and it can be really situationally dependent and being in the military as a, as a green beret, you know, Josh had plenty of opportunities to execute all different kinds of missions with all sorts of kinds of planning and different levels of planning, contingency planning you know, to four, four degrees, five degrees further, it all kind of depends on what your, what your mission dictates for you to be successful and what your environmental considerations are. And we, we get into all of that here. I think if you are somebody who is looking to be better prepared, you're looking to train with your buddies, you're looking to train up and, and, and just, and protect your family, your, your property, you know, this is, this is going to be really, really good stuff for you. You're really, really going to want to pay attention to this. So I'm going to shut the hell up, and I'm going to jump on over to my chat with Josh Derringer from Survivor's Contact. Hey, Josh. Welcome back to the pod, man. Hey, man. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you? Doing well, man. Still kicking. That's good. Good and on the right side of the dirt, right? That's right. (laughs) So uh, I'm happy we were able to make this connection again last time. We got together. I know we talked about like a bunch of a bunch of stuff, but you specifically had made a comment around uh, planning and and contingency planning, right? Um, I believe that was the the phrase that you used, and it got me thinking. A lot of people, I'm almost certain of it, don't have a what I'll call, you know, a thorough understanding of the concept. Short of everyone understands the phrase Plan B, right? Yeah. But I don't think we truly understand what what would that look like you know especially as it applies to uh preparedness survivability uh things like that so to that end we kind of got together right and decided this would be a, a good topic for us to to speak on 
uh, or you speak on more to the point. And I'm going to sit here and agree because uh, (laughs) I just don't have the knowledge that you do, but that's why we're doing this. (laughs) So I digress. Where do we start, you know, with contingency planning as a whole, is there a natural starting point? Is there, you know, a square one, so to speak with this concept? Yeah. Um, yeah. The cool thing about this is it's like everything else and the cop-out statement, it's, it's situation dependent. Military would say it's mission dependent. Um, but the cool thing about this is it applies anywhere where you want to be prepared for some kind of event. And that's where like the actual word contingency comes in. Um, Cause like, you know, by really simple definition, it's something that's by chance. Uh, it comes up under uncertain conditions or what is happening, what you're planning for is dependent on certain conditions. Um, right. And that's where the, exactly where the situation part comes in. Um, and from a, a military perspective uh, for, for mission planning, um, contingencies are huge uh, because a lot of the planning that we end up doing in the military in, in SOF, um, it's very in-depth to begin with. And it's, it's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of things that you've prepared already, almost like battle drills or things that you already know how to do. Sure. Um, a whole bunch of those stacked together. So you're proficient in all those basics, which is huge. Um, and then contingencies are all the what ifs, all those extra wrenches that can get thrown into your plan um, based on a bunch of different factors. And you're sitting there saying between accomplishing the mission and surviving and bringing all my people, all the team back. Um, those are the two things that you're going off of um, things that can like I said, cause risk to risk to force, risk to people, and risk to the mission. You don't want to fail the mission, um, but at some point, mission failure is probably better than losing some of your people. Some people might disagree, yeah. but yeah, I mean, for, uh, <laughs> you got to weigh it out, right? Yeah, and and what I like uh, this framework that we're going to kind of go over for a civilian audience. Um, I would think that with a civilian audience, the the people are are what you're trying to bring back, you're trying to maintain, you know, period, right? Um, and at that rate, from a survival perspective, you know, something, some kind of situation happens um, that you've been preparing for, the mission is to survive. So the, the risk to force, conserving that force, you, yourself, your family, your tribe, whatever, mm-hmm. that is the mission. So I want to say it's a little bit easier to, to view from that lens. Um, right. And, and go from there. Yeah, I mean, so, so it sounds like there's more than just... Because I think when people think this concept, a lot of people broad, you know, level, they look at it and they go, I got a backup plan. Don't worry. Like I'm going to bug out to this location. If that doesn't work, my buddy's got some property, like, you know, an hour from there. Yep. So then, I mean, with that, I mean, maybe I'm getting too far ahead. What, to what level, uh, I get, or degree, I guess, does the contingency planning go, um, or should it go, you know, I mean, plan B is great, but what about Mm -hmm. CD? Do you, I mean, how far does it go? Yeah. And, and again, that's all back to the situation, but the the way you kind of frame the whole thing, that pace plan, if anybody hasn't heard it in these circles before pace, primary, alternate contingency and emergency. So arguably it's a, it's at least four layers um, of this type of planning. And uh, from our, our outline here, when you're going through that planning, you're going through that pace, you're setting each part of that pace uh, based on that war gaming process. And the war gaming process is from a military perspective saying, if this happens, I see this happening or, or I take an action, what mm-hmm. is going to be the reaction of our adversary or the enemy 
plus all, all the other factors happening around you, like terrain, weather, your equipment. Um, how is all that going to react to the stimuli you've put into the environment? And then what is your counteraction to their reaction? So it's just basically taking that, if this, then this, they do this, and then this. And ideally, the moral of the story is you have one more uh, than this option than the adversary or the environment. Yeah. Really simply put, it's like, how many how many hits can you take and, and dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge and still make it? I dig so. it. I love the reference. That's I love the movie. Uh, so, uh, in other words, a, a, I guess a big part of this, cause we've talked about, uh, to some extent anyways, intelligence gathering in an earlier episode here. So that plays a huge part right in this planning. Um, because I mean, I've, I've heard this said a lot of different ways, but basically hope is, is the absence of a plan. Hope isn't a plan. Right. Yes. So, you know, once if you don't have that level of planning and you can't complete that level of planning without a certain uh, degree of intelligence about, you know, like you were just mentioning, you know, your environment, uh, different factors and things like that, you're setting yourself up uh, yeah. for failure, you know? Yeah. Um, so I guess, can we get into that for a second? Really? I mean, I know it's, it's very broad, but when you're looking at maybe some of those, in, uh, I'll loosely use the term intelligence, right? Sure. But gathering some of those factors, what are some of the things that you would look for when trying to plan, uh, you know, uh, a mission or, or, you know, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny from the intelligence perspective, since that's been my role uh, in multiple different military settings, um, part of the mission planning process is that intelligence piece. And when you're doing IPB, the intel prep of the battlefield or of the environment, that is prior to the plan, basically. It, it's part of the plan, but you're using that to plan off of, right? So you're looking at um, the environment without the adversary's input, basically. So the terrain, the weather, um, what season are you in? Basically, without the adversary's say in the situation, what things could arise that could mess you up um, that just exist on the daily? Um, and that's your terrain and weather, the environment piece. Um, with that one, your equipment comes into it because that's really one of the only things that can go wrong uh, besides something happening in the environment. Um, so having your equipment prepped and having appropriate equipment for the environment. And then you add in the adversaries piece of that, uh, whatever the adversary is, and that's be people um, per se, but whatever, whatever thing threatens you the most, uh, we sit, we look at COAs or courses of action and we look at the most likely and the most dangerous courses of action that the adversary can take while we are doing our thing out in the environment. And those are the things we're planning for. So we're planning for the environment plus the adversary's vote and all of that um, and putting those things together. And as we build that plan, um, we can address it by phase. So we have our, our planning phase for what we think we're going to go out and do. We have the movement to, to get out to where we're going to do it. We do it on the spot and then we move back. So sitting there and taking the environment, your equipment, adversary actions, and then any other random thing and overlaying that onto each phase of that plan. And then saying, how do I address each one of these things in this, you know, this matrix of factors that can affect me and having ideally at least two parts of that pace plan to address each one of those things. And obviously the more dangerous, the more critical the event is, you might need more than, P-A-C-E to deal with it. Yeah. So, I mean, from a civilian standpoint, then it's obviously going to be scaled down from maybe what 
well, from likely from what you guys did when you were in the service, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so from a civilian standpoint, it's going to be toned down. But what what are some of the things we, I mean, I know you mentioned equipment and things like that. Um, and the environment's huge, uh, depending on, I guess, you know, wherever people are listening right now, your environmental factors could be very different, extreme heat, extreme cold here in Michigan. It feels like we just happen to get all of them in a relatively, <laughs> I mean, the, the weather here is just crazy. Like give it five minutes and it'll change. We went from 61 to this weekend. It's going to be like a high 85, yep. you know, and you can't really plan well around that other than just to plan for both. Yes. <laughs> so to what degree, you know, um, from a civilian perspective, how far should that go in terms of, you know, what should you carry? I mean, I don't even know if it's carrying on your person, right? But assuming you're, you're planning to, you're trying to secure your safety. So maybe it's a bu- it's bugging out, for instance, right? Sure. Since it's very situational dependent. What, what would that look like from a starting point? How would you start positioning that? Okay. Um, so like first within that whole situation, it's a little bit off the contingency planning portion. Um, but any, in any of these plans, um, having a list of indicators developed is huge. So you're like, all right, the bug out is a situation. Okay. What, what things are you going to see? What are observable things you're going to be able to see to say, okay, this situation is now happening. So you basically have a threshold of when you hit the button. Um, cause that's a huge part of survival, right? Like the, the initial portions of a, a traumatic event are probably the most dangerous and the time where your inputs make the most impact. Um, mm-hmm. So having that, okay, here's the, here's the oh shit button. Um, knowing what to observe yeah. so when you hit that is huge. And then going from there, uh, like the bug out piece, um, laying out how that would go in phases, starting with how many members of your family, of your household do you need to bring with you? Um, space is is going to be a huge thing and everybody's going to go at least to one vehicle. Um, so from the bug out piece, the mission is movement. Um, so within movement, within the vehicle piece, the contingencies need to be, how much time do I have? So do you have six hours to pack the car? Do you have 10 minutes to pack the car or anywhere in between? That's a good point. Um, Because just the, just the timeliness, right? You know, a lot of people have a basement, full of preps. They're like, I'm good. And it's like, that's great. But how much stuff can you physically pack? If it was like, I see something out the window and I need to get out the back door to my car. Like, what of that are you grabbing if it's not staged, ready to go? If you Uh, have the money and resources to have a full bag packed at all times that you don't touch, that's staged by the door. And every member of your family has that equivalent of that type of bag. And you're in the car and you can be moving. Versus... Like I said, I have six hours. Like there's there's a hurricane coming in and we're being evacuated. Yeah, like now, you know? gotta go now. Yes. Um, or you know, it's a warning from like a weather service. Like I have tomorrow. Like they're advising everybody to be out by tomorrow. Okay, take some of that time and pack the things you need. But the scale of that's going to be determined by time, and then how much your vehicle can carry. Right. So, and the last thing I'll throw in there is: do both of you, if it's you, your wife, kiddos, and extra stuff, do you take two vehicles? Um, because for a contingency like a vehicle breakdown, how much of that stuff can you crossload? Yeah, that's a good thought as well. I mean, I, I've never thought of that. Honestly, I would just assume you pack everybody up into one vehicle, safety sure. and numbers being a one consideration, right? Yeah. But, you know, alternatively, it depends on the uh, the condition, right, of the family uh, 
the family station wagon or, or minivan, like how reliable is it really past yeah. what 20 miles, you, you know, your normally grocery routine and stuff. Sure. Um, and from the military perspective, uh, and from a survival one, if you talk about survival bags or like military vehicles, uh, we always had at least one vehicle that had an access of space. Um, because if a vehicle goes down, you can now crossload people and critical equipment into that vehicle that has space. Or like I said, someone gets injured. Now you have a dedicated ambulance type vehicle that you have the space to lay out a patient and space for a medic to work around them until you get them, you know, military medevac or civilian, you're getting them to a hospital or at least out to a road where first responders can get to you. So having that extra space available somewhere and then having the plan to say, oh, a vehicle goes down. I'm for sure taking all of my family with me and I'm taking this set of items that's critical because that's also all that will fit into the second vehicle. Right. Which I mean, takes your planning to a whole different place too. When you start looking at like what kind of vehicle you're going to lease or buy and why do you make those decisions? And it, it astounds me the number of people that drive little vehicles because they think they're making a good decision for, you know, whatever reasons. So when we, when, when folks build these plans, <clears throat> I mean, it really, it's, it needs to be fairly in depth. Right. Oh, yeah. And it needs to be something that is, like I just said, you start with what kind of vehicle do you have? It doesn't necessarily have to be a huge truck, right, or something, but that certainly has its advantages. Maybe mm-hmm. you give up passenger space in lieu of cargo space, right? Um, so when we're looking at the the big picture, honestly, I feel like, you know, and it, it sucks because, you know, shooting is the cool stuff in this space that everyone wants uh-huh. to like magnetize to. But I feel like this is, you're, we're way more likely to to come into uh, to come into using something like this, you know, cause I mean, hell, uh, this pat, not this week, but the week before we've had a giant wave of power outages here in Michigan in Southeast Detroit because of, uh, storms. And, um, we, for some reason, our infrastructure sucks so bad. We still have our power lines above ground. So like we lose power on just, you know, a regular windy day, let alone what we experienced, but this is way more, uh, applicable, mm-hmm. you know, when you're developing that, not just your, I mean, well, I guess it is, it's your, your plan, whether it's your primary or your contingency or, or whatever, when you're looking at overall the planning piece. So um, where do, I mean, that's kind of where the starting point I feel like for everybody is basic survivability, food and shelter. Mm-hmm. Beyond <laughs> that, <clears throat> what are, what do we, where do we go after that's sorted? Yeah. Um, well, like you said, outside of the movement piece, which we just kind of talked, and there's one more thing I wanted to hit on on that. Um, when you talk about a contingency of like maybe two vehicles and one goes down, um, having stuff staged is is the version of the vehicle going down repairable, and how quickly can you accomplish that? Um, mm-hmm. You know, people that do like off-roading, you know, off-road mobility stuff with their Jeeps and trucks and whatnot. And for us overseas, um, we had multiple ways to recover a vehicle if it was like stuck example. So we'd have chains, we'd have those big kinetic uh, pull ropes, and those would be just S folded on the front of our bumpers and zip tied. So if something happens and dude gets stuck, you get out, pull that sucker, break the zip ties. You got to be pretty strong. You can break those zip ties and like yeah. feed that rope out immediately. And now you're ready to pull from either direction within the time it takes to get out and break those zip ties. So if you're somewhere like a bad area overseas, or if you're a civilian and you're in your in a traffic jam, you're going through a spot you don't want to be mm-hmm. in a semi-hostile situation. Because let's face it, groups of people are dangerous, whether they want to be or not. 
Oh yeah. Groups of panicked people are super dangerous and they're unpredictable. Yeah, I'd say even worse. Yeah. So the speed at which one, the speed that you do everything is a deterrent from for people from the outside period. They see you moving quickly. Uh, that's usually like people keep their distance. They're not like, what are you doing? Moving all quickly and aggressively. It's like, nope, I'm doing my plan. I'm getting my vehicle yanked out of here. I'm moving again. Um, And so there's that. Um, Outside of the the mobility piece and and the cross-loading, and and that whole concept applies to like bug out bags as well. You know, it's like if I have a giant bag and I need to prioritize speed over carrying all my stuff, how much of that bag do I leave behind? Or is there, you know, a top flap snapped onto that bag that I can unsnap and now I can just beat feet. See, and that's, yeah, that's something you see a ton of now. Guys want to buy huge bags, uh, Everly stock, uh, mystery ranch, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And that it's just, it's, it's so overlooked because if you're just rocking a small backpack, people, you know, start to question, uh, I mean, it's social media, right? So we take it with a grain of salt, but certainly something to consider you know, can you scale down your load? Maybe speed is the, uh, is what's required. You know, Hey, we, we got to make it from here from point A to point B because a storm or I mean, whatever have you, right. Mm-hmm. Whatever constraint, something to consider beyond just your vehicle. Right. Yep. Yeah. Mobility and speed. I mean, I don't know how many of the, the military and survival personalities say that like mobility means survivability. If you are moving, you are harder to kill period from, pretty much all aspects. So I would argue that like protection of like body armor or, you know, like an assault rifle type uh, over being able to move, I would take the movement piece first. So that's, I feel like that's the argument when some people look at, you know, planning for uh, exigent circumstances like this, you don't have to necessarily have a whole other like armor loadout set up, but perhaps Mm -hmm. something like a chest rig where it's probably not going to be your first choice. Maybe it is, uh, but Uh, but having something like that that's serviceable from a defense yeah. standpoint because it provides speed uh, and mobility, better decision from a planning standpoint. Uh, again, given your circumstances and conditions. Um, sure. Which and and it's how much time you know? If I have six hours to pack my car, yeah, armor and guns is going in there. Period. <laughs> if I be one of the maybe not the I mean it's the first thing on the list probably maybe not the first thing to go in because yeah. I feel like when people pack vehicles, they don't really remember how that all works, where it's like the first thing in is usually the last thing out and therefore the least accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure people with kids understand that because they do the, you know, in and out the vehicle all day long. Uh, But for a lot of folks, that's, that's part of the planning phase, understanding how to, to, to stage your gear, right? Um, Not your, uh, what's the term, your first line gear, the stuff that's going to be like, you know, attached to your hip, but everything past that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, and that brings in another piece gear wise, regardless of the situation, prioritizing, developing that pace plan for how critical the gear is. So like for us, the reason from a military perspective, we carry a rifle and a pistol, especially in a CQB environment, uh, rifles go down. And when you're 10 or 15 feet from another hostile person, you need an immediate right. fix. Otherwise it won't be your problem very soon. So it's kind of all or nothing at that point. And that's why you carry two guns. You have a primary and a secondary or an alternate. And ideally that pistol is the more reliable of the two. If we're being honest. Okay. Are you um, sure it's not just cause it looks cooler? Cause I mean, <laughs> as much as I like carrying extra stuff, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, more stuff to put optics and lights on. It's my favorite. Um, yeah. More weight. But yeah, that's, that's a primary and alternate 
prime example. You're going into a house with other people who are upset with you being there and you're going to use guns, probably have more than one and probably have one that's more reliable and easy to get to and set up on your kit so it's not obstructed by, you know, the garage sale that you're wearing. Yeah. Make and sure you can get at your pistol. And it's easy. That That's the first one everyone addresses. A, you know, my joking aside, it, everyone, you know, goes straight to the firearm first, but mm-hmm. we don't we don't plan for gear failure very well. I feel like as a community yet um, or the adjacent uh, pieces of, of kit primarily being communications. You know, I think a lot of people lean on their cell phone. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be their compass. It's going to be their clock. You know, it's going to be their primary there, you know, Oh, well, you know, the cell towers can run themselves. So we'll be okay. Yeah. I I don't believe that. No, and for, for something that critical as a communications plan, especially if all this happens and you have to do some kind of link up with your own family, like, hey, there's no time for all of yeah. us to get together and then leave. Um, that's a single point of failure, period, is what that is. It's like, how do I address this? You know, it doesn't have to be an EFP or an EMP, excuse me. It's not like the whole entire grid is down. It's like, what if your phone is just dead? Or you're not willing to burn gas in your vehicle to keep your phone charged. Maybe that's a decision you make at some point is communicating and getting rescued or coordinating with other people more Mm -hmm. important than your gas. That's a, that's your call at that point. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and that's a consideration too, you know, uh, fuel, whether it be in the vehicle, um, fuel to be used to create a fire, like that's all should be at least considerations in, in your, your planning, different stages of your plan. Right. Cause if you're at the point of building a fire, I feel like something with your mobility, your mobility probably went, went wrong. Um, you didn't necessarily make it to shelter. Sure. And, uh, and yeah, from yes. Yeah. That, yeah. It just hit me. It's like, well, you're building the fire. It's like, yeah, the, the the vehicle thing kind of went South. It's like, uh uh-huh. That's uh, I mean, unless you're very comfortable with that, and then maybe stopping and camping on the side of the road or something was part of your plan to get to wherever it is you're headed. I mean, more power to you. I know a lot yeah. of folks struggle with making a fire, myself mm-hmm. among them sometimes, you know. Um, it just again, environmental factors, uh, always kind of get a say to your, mm-hmm. your your first point, you know. So if it just rained, you can't really count on some dry sticks on the ground to get a fire going. So what do you have with you? Um, you know, little pieces of tinder, maybe some paper. Paper's not great because it just burns so quickly. Maybe some pet balls or something like mm-hmm. something's going to help you get it going. And then how much fuel do you have in your lighter? Yep. How much fuel do you want to use trying to get this thing started? For me, yep. it's, I waste so much. I'm very bad. I need to work on it. <laughs> work on it. It's a, it's a, a skill that I'm, I'm honing uh, and crafting uh, every time, every weekend, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Um, and as, as far as the sustainment piece, just like you were speaking to having the things with you, um, unique experience in, in SF was that if we, when we deployed and we lived among a partner force, um, they were built into our security plan because they usually could move around the environment freely or more mm-hmm. freely than we could, obviously, in most places where we don't look like them or there's we're on the periphery of a war or we're in a war zone in a denied area kind of relying on them don't have your first two options to sustain yourself be on the local economy. Like you need to be carrying that stuff with you. Um, Especially during like a critical movement piece, right? You're like, Oh, if something happens, I can swing by the store and grab another case of water or I can stop and fill up for gas. Well, if you're planning for like, say you live near some kind of, some kind of power plant 
And while all the nuclear power plants in, in America are, are super, super secure and there's tons of layers of contingencies that they plan for, say your plan is, hey, if something happens, we need to be able to move 100 miles quickly without stopping. Yeah. Can you accomplish that with the stuff you're bringing with you and not not be able to rely on the local economy versus, you know, hey, I'm run, I'm coming home from work and I'm hungry. I can swing by somewhere and have a burger in 30 seconds at a drive through window. Both are sustainment. Mm-hmm. But if the situation doesn't allow you to do that, you need to make your plan such that however far and fast you need to move, you can sustain that whole time. You know, you ask people, it's like, where are you going to go? And it's like, I'm going to bug out. Where? To the mountains. Okay, which one and how far is it? Could you be more vague? Yeah. yeah. Uh, those kinds of how answers, much? I think, are pretty indicative of people that that haven't actually planned it, right? Well, sure. And 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 that's that's all part of your criteria. Well, this this we have a cabin because we have the money and we bought a cabin in the mountains. Great. How far is it? Well, 100 miles. Okay. How full is your gas tank when you come home every day? If this is truly your bug out plan, you should have a get to your cabin amount of gas at a minimum. Every time you park yeah. your car, if you're if this is really some shit that's going to kill you, you need to pile into the car and go right now. You better be able to get there or tell me that you can get there if that's your plan. Yeah, I mean, it, I think everybody needs to graduate at some point from the high school uh, way of thinking of, hey, the needles over, uh, you know, it's higher than E. So I'm good to I'm good to roll. You know, I'll just hit yeah. the gas station on the way out. Um, yeah, no. Don't do that. <laughs> you jackass. Don't do that. Um, when I, I think the cool thing is, too, from the working class perspective, I'll just leave it there, that most of us have sat in traffic with that needle sitting on E going, man, we got to move. Hope soon. I make it. Yep. Yeah. yeah so I mean, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't like letting mine get below. I don't let mine get below half a tank. I don't like it below three quarters, honestly. I know that seems mm-hmm. really stupid, but. I mean, in general terms of mobility and modern vehicles and gas economy, I mean, you're really not traveling more than maybe 30 miles a day round trip for most folks. Mm-hmm. You can budget that financially. You can budget that from a supply standpoint. You can understand, you know, I mean, if you get down to a good enough schedule, I used to, I knew which days of the week I was stopping at the gas station because I use the yep. same amount of gas roughly each day. And that's when I was going to be stopping in to top off the tank. Yeah. Build that into your plan. and. You know, maybe that means you keep a little extra around the, in the garage or something in a gas can or a fire cabinet ready to go if you need it. Yeah. And when you're planning for that stuff, you know, our vehicles have a mileage range. You know, everybody's all plan for the worst. It's like, you don't have to plan for the worst, plan for realistic. If I'm crawling right. in a full size SUV through traffic and the low end of the fuel economy is 12 miles to the gallon, prepare for that. If this is the no shit life or death situation. Mm-hmm that's that's just something easy to prepare for and write that into your plan and as things are moving you're like oh we're doing better than i planned for well now you've just bought yourself a gap of time of resources you've you've given yourself a comfort layer that is huge in a dangerous or survival type situation like just your just your mindset having a cushion is enough to get you through to the end oh, absolutely. If you need to. and and allows you to think clearly because at, at any point where you haven't pre-planned the action, you're using brain power that is stressful. And as soon as something, the environment induces so much stress on you, that reaction is going to kind of come slow or not fast enough for you to live through it. 
So keeping your keeping your mindset about you is just a conglomeration of doing a whole bunch of small things to make sure you don't get in that negative space to where now you cannot react outside of your own plan. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, letting emotions guide and and make those decisions is hugely problematic. And we saw a lot of that, I think, during like the COVID lockdowns and the uh, uh, summer of love, you know, all mm-hmm. that, whatever people call it, all the, the peaceful protesting that we saw all over the country is it was a lot mm-hmm. of it was emotionally driven. Um, I know personally, I, I witnessed going to the grocery store, trying to buy more stuff people emotionally driven through how they were handling those situations yeah both by their behavior but be by their the the, the lack of uh a forethought in their purchases you know um mm-hmm. and i'm sure and i talked about this before on this podcast and i'll say it again guys bacon is perishable it is not the first thing you need to buy you know eight pounds of like i love bacon too but you should probably load up on those canned goods and maybe some of the dry goods that will offer you nourishment not just this week but for the next couple of weeks to go ahead. And the nice thing about cans is you can toss that in the backpack pretty easy. You, know, you yep. can stack those up. Those, those travel pretty well, almost yep. like this country has been through something like that before. And you need to store food for a long period of time due to a depression in the economy, something like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, between your house and your vehicle, keeping a stock of critical stuff, whatever your budget allows a day, a week, a month, whatever budget and space allows for you so that, you don't have to participate in that panic moment with the panicked people. Like, holy shit. If you could, if you could have just sat, you know, any of us, if you could have just sat still through COVID, I think a lot of us would have. Oh yeah. I like, definitely, yeah. I didn't want to go out and deal with the world. Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. It so matter having, yeah. So having just that little bit of a cushion, it's like everybody's panicked at the store today looking for shit paper. Again, you can't eat it. I don't get it, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Because it didn't matter which side of the political aisle you fell on. If you were outside the house, you're having a bad time. Yes. You know, just for either you were pissed by what was going on for one reason or another. And there were so many people out, you know, it's, it is, it's, it really is. It's a perfect, it's a perfect case to justify what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, not that anyone would have ever been able, I don't think anyways, been able to make it all the way through the lockdown without having to resupply at some point, but certainly as uh, fast and furious as that kind of came on with initiating lockdowns and companies sending everybody home and the country shutting down for 14 days to flatten the curve and everything. Mm-hmm. 14 days is a, I mean, granted we, we went much longer than that. 14 days isn't unreasonable to yeah. be prepared for. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point earlier, if you didn't use all those supplies, then great. You just have a little bit of a cushion, uh, you know, to get you to, until your next resupply point. And yep. if you did use all of it, then congratulations. You planned accordingly. And at some point, you're going to have to go out and replenish it anyway, which yep. to some degree, you know, is that something you can plan for? Yeah. And that's I, that a whole other part of the plan is sustainment. And that's another one of those indicator things. It's I have a stockpile of seven days worth of food on the morning of day eight. I am at food zero. So at what <laughs> point do you need to be for you and your family to say, hey, when the stuff on the shelves gets to this level, we need to be planning our resupply plan if there isn't one already. And mm-hmm. then when it hits this level, OK, here's the no shit I need to go out like this is we can't wait anymore. We need to make movement. Right. 
And then you initiate the movement plan, which you've planned for, and it, all, it's contingencies for all of this. And ideally that you plan for contingencies for the first step of this thing and never have to move to contingencies to every other step because you're not forced in, into doing that. Ideally. Yeah. No, that makes sense. If you plan appropriately for, yeah, you won't end up in the contingency. Well, ideally anyways, you won't end up in that contingency phase for each uh, portion. I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Having that threshold of, of I need to hit the button to do this now. And if, if you're hitting the button to do it now, there needs to be at least some semblance of a plan. At yeah, least it be. preferably. Uh, well, especially because you see so many people talking about this, you know, um, where we're at in the country right now and politically speaking, right. And a lot of people thinking they're in a really good place because of some of the skill sets that they have and guns and gear and, and things. But realistically, I think that this is something that's drastically overlooked, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and again, this is all just from a survivable survivability and a sustainment uh, lens, right? Because if you can't keep your family safe and nourished, what's the point for a lot of us? I mean, really, what's the point? I mean, if you don't have a family, I'm, I feel sorry for you uh, mm-hmm. first and foremost, but you're probably the outlier in this situation. Yes. <clears throat> this needs to be a focus. Uh, and the same, and I think it's one, another one of these circumstances, just like CQB, you know, CQB is a huge, it's a huge thing right now. It's the new hotness. Like everybody loves close quarters battle, like whatever. Yeah. It's sexy. It's cool. Yeah. It's, it's great. But you know, when you're going through and doing, when you're, when you're looking at this concept, right. Of the concept of marksmanship, the concept of CQB, the concept of contingency planning fundamentals are what's going to aid you. And yes. then you need to apply those situation to situation. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Cause I mean, what is CQB, right? CQB, if you're doing it taught by someone who knows what they're doing, we'll just leave it there. You're only solving one problem at a time by right. only exposing yourself to one problem at a time and on your terms. That's what this, this whole thing is. It's can I, I'm only going to bite off little pieces that I know of because even in biting off those little pieces, there's, there's a measure of chaos that could come of that. So I can't lay on a whole bunch of factors at the same time and expect just my fundamentals to get me through it. You know, right. it's your fundamentals apply in that very specific sense of I'm only taking a five meter target every time I do this. Mm-hmm. It's like, do not expose yourself to multiple things because we're just people and you're probably going to lose. That's just statistically you take on that many problems all at once. You're probably not coming out of that one, the winner. Right. So it's, and it's, and the, and from the fundamentals, you know, from like a CQB thing, it's all the same stuff as far as survivability. Like you had to plan for it. You had to put on clothes appropriate to the environment. You had to make sure all your gear was good. You had to make a plan and you had to be able to do all of this without thinking. Cause as soon as that measure of chaos comes in, you have to use your, your brain power to address that thing. And your deep down lizard brain should be doing the things that you've already pre-programmed yourself to do, which is move, raise the rifle, go off safe, pick up a sight picture, shoot, scan again, all the things that are involved in that. You can't be using your person brain to like, what do I do now? Oh, yes, go off safe. Like that's all that stuff needs to be programmed in that environment. 
because it's easy to figure out ahead of time. Complex. Yes. So as many things that you don't have to figure out on the spot, the better. And I'll say 70% of problems you can talk through, walk through in your head and rehearse and have a rough response figured out. So when that wild shit happens, you're like, oh, I got to think about this, but everything else is good. I've controlled every factor that I could control up until this point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's something that it, when people start to realize some of that, that when you look more fundamental and you look at, foundationally speaking at these broad skills, they cross those lines. They connect all of these concepts. They kind of weave them together. Now, having good fundamentals is obviously required to be successful at all these things. It is not enough in most circumstances, though, to be exceptional at all these things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that next step you have to take with everything. But I think that, you know, it's just that simple realization, you know, just like you're talking about, you deal with one problem at a time by exposing yourself to one problem at a time. A good plan, whether it's to bug out or or whatever, maybe you're on, you know, you've already bugged out and you're scavenging for food, whatever you make a plan, you make a mission, you, you execute that by doing that correctly, everything leading up to that point correctly, you're setting yourself up for success based off those fundamental decisions you made. Yep. So different frame of reference, but kind of the same. Oh, absolutely. The same tools in the toolbox. I'll say Mm -hmm. a lot of these things that I think a lot of folks want to give a ton of attention to again, like CQB, like, yeah, you know, marksmanship shooting it, but it just, it simply isn't as attractive I'll say from a distance, you know, yep. sustainability and, and planning. Yep. And it's uh, and it's funny going overseas and working with an indigenous force. Um, we've occasionally a very young version of me uh, was like, Oh, we need to put classes together for some of these guys. And it's like, Oh, you know, I really like the survival like kind of stuff. It's like, could we do something like that with them? And my team daddy looks at me and he's like, you know, they live here, right? Like this is their environment. <laughs> we don't really need to go over that with them (laughs) yeah like they're providing us security and sustainment because they can move around more safely and freely than we can and they've been doing it for decades or hundreds of years or thousands of years some of these societies so you know ugly american me was like i'm gonna teach these guys like no jackass sit down they're gonna bring us food and water because they're not gonna get shot up driving through town you you don't know how to do that so why don't you relax yeah Um, Start, start little, right. And and work your way up from there. Yeah. But you know, they appreciate that. It's like the environment has a vote every, every time, every time and default to people who have, who existed and maybe thrived in that environment. So I don't know if you can get into too much of this, but I did think it might be worth mentioning because Robin Sage, right. Is something that the green, you know, you're in the pipeline, you're trying to be a green beret, right. Mm -hmm. That's, and I, and I know, I only know this because, you know, the guys over at Fieldcraft have shared some things about it, but from what I've been able to, to gather, it's an incredibly useful experience for exactly this, how to plan correctly and then pivot when something goes wrong. Yes. Can you talk about that at all? Well, it, yes. Um, obviously. I mean, uh, I know, I know you can, is... but I mean, yeah. like, I know there's certain yeah, yeah. things you can't disclose. <laughs> sure. Um, the cool thing, one of the cool things that applies to this conversation about Robin Sage is it takes someone who is a soldier already, you know, it could be a guy with 10, 12, 15 years and already, or it could be a guy off the street who went right into the pipeline. Um, 
depending on what contract options they took. It's taking a military-minded person and thrusting them into an environment where they are supposed to help work with a resistance force who is probably going to be civilians. That's the that's the the setting of this type of thing. It's like worst case scenario, some kind of war or conflict kicks off, and mm-hmm. our government says we need people to go work with these people. We don't know who they are. We don't know how they're organized. We don't know if they have military experience. We don't know any of it or a lot of it. And a lot of times the uh, the spooky agency will help with that first part. Um, but after that, it's your you come in there, a bunch of military guys, right, into whatever setting. And it's not even Robin Sage specific. I'll say into the world for my deployments that I can probably speak more freely about. Yeah. You go into an environment and you're like, all right, here's how the military does stuff. And they're like, okay, bro, you, you're 12 military guys and we are 200 civilians who really don't want ISIS here. So either you can be 12 military guys taken on ISIS by yourself or you can leverage 200 of us and mix in the way we do things with your skills where they apply and now leverage this whole thing. That's the really interesting and applicable part to the civilian aspect because a resistance force is civilians. It's moms, dads, kids that are old enough to fight who are like, man, our country, our town, our our province, whatever, there's a problem here. And we are not a named military. If we were, the traditional military would be helping us. Yeah, instead of this foreign force that's now here helping us so it's it's absolutely that it's going into an ambiguous environment that is civilian driven and a, a big part of that is you know, military-minded people a lot of times they miss some of the sustainment piece it's like well what are you going to do for food it's like well i got nine mres with me that's three days worth of food it's like yeah what about day four we got to be here for weeks well we'll we'll buy it on the local economy okay can you walk around ben affleck white face in this country and go buy food you probably not so i mean yeah. depending on where you are maybe maybe not okay well we're going to rely on the partner okay how were your first interactions with this partner were you a, a shit ass who's like i'm an sf guy and we're here to kick ass and take names oh great dude you're gonna go hungry on day four because you insulted their version yeah. of a leader immediately and didn't even know it because you don't know the culture the rules you know. Yes. So it's, even having a plan for interactions with someone you have to work with, and that might even work in business, you know, wild concept. Oh, Your yeah. initial reactions with people planning how that goes is huge. Well, and there's also the assumption then that you can just go buy food. Like your currency is going to, sure. I mean, there's parts of the world where they don't use currency. Yep. You know, it's a more of a, it's a barter system. If yep. you have anything that's, you know, what can you trade away? What, what what can you absolutely not? What's mm-hmm. the value of these things? Are the people that you're trying to trade with? And, you know, that kind of gets into a whole nother, you know, mess of stuff. But are sure. are these people gonna find value in the the five thousand dollar Rolex that you're trying to trade? If they have no need for it, then it's not a five thousand dollar Rolex. It's a nope. it's a paperweight <laughs> that you carry yeah. on your wrist. Yeah. Or do they, you know? something like a lot of Middle Eastern type societies that I'll say are out on like the fringe of like cities. Do mm-hmm. they track time with a watch? No, I'm, I'm, I mean, I would assume no. Yeah. It's like something like that. Like if you don't know that, or you're like, I'll just give them my, you know, my watch here. I got jewelry. That guy doesn't work off the clock. He works off the sun. Uh, again, you have nothing to that person. Right. They're, they're looking so, for something they can use. 
Yes. Uh huh. Every time. <laughs> it's going to benefit their life positively. Uh, so and the other, maybe your rifle. Other, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. For real. Um, and the other part of that is looking at how doing war in there. I know we're kind of off on an SF tangent right now, but looking at how doing war in this person's area affects them as a civilian. Because if they're just a resistance force, and they're not a soldier. They might not be getting paid. They might not be organized enough to be paid as a soldier. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're getting food from a farmer up the road who's sympathetic to the cause, but isn't willing to lose his farm over it. So you can't burn that guy. Yeah. You no, know, that, that's certainly might... applicable to the civilian world. I mean, if we ever were to get into one of those, uh, the movie Red Dawn, I mean, look at it. I mean, not out of the realm of possibility. Yes. And version, yeah, versions of stuff like that. Yes. It's like you're, you're fighting where you live and fighting might not be your job for the rest of this. And you might not want to do fighting the same way you would if it was in your backyard versus in a foreign country Mm -hmm. or even on a timeline, you know, American soldiers after Vietnam weren't really deployed past six months, 12 months, you know, 14, 15 months for like some of the the surge days in Iraq, Afghanistan. But that brings a different mindset. If you're like, I'm out of here in six months, no matter what happens, I just have to make it you really have to watch yourself and how you interact with the partner who's going to be here for life was here before is going to be here after, you know, you can't be that come in six months, break shit and leave and think they're going to be okay with that. They might be for a time, but after that, it's like, you guys just breaking shit. You know, we have to live here, right? Like we're defending this because we want it to be our home. Right. And it, yeah. And it kind of builds into your, the whole sustainability piece because then potentially your your outlook right then impacts how much support you have from your uh, partner force or natives or I mean whatever what, is partner force the correct term for that I don't I mean yeah yep yep partner force the indige the natives whoever and it's funny like basic services are what drives those people it's what drives all people basic services mm-hmm. like when ISIS moved into a province and wanted to gain influence over a province some of the things they would do would be to cut off a service. And then fill the gap, like kill the power so there's no traffic lights, right? Now you put a guy who is an ISIS member at an, inter- at an intersection, he now directs traffic. They created a problem, then they solved the problem in front of the populace. And the populace may not know he carries the title of ISIS, but they know this guy is providing something to the populace with nothing in return. Yeah. You're, which you're going to be loyal. You're going to be loyal to the people who help provide you basic services. Right. And the whole Americans coming in going, you should do it for pride in your country. They're like, ah, eh, but I like electricity. Pride's cool, but uh, I need the lights on. Yeah. And I think it's a little bit higher up on the list immediately. Mm-hmm. You guys have cool guns, but unless you can promise me the lights are going to be on, I'm going to keep talking to this guy over here out of necessity. Yeah, because so. I can't, you know, my baby needs heat or we need running water or whatever the case may be. Yes. Yes. So jumping on back to kind of the, the planning piece of this and having, you know, to, I, you said to at least the, the, the fourth layer, I guess, mm-hmm. right. Or your pace plan, how much further can you take things with this? I mean, I know obviously you could go forever, which is sure. kind of doesn't make sense, but to what, I mean, when you were in, let's say in your personal experience, how far would you take some of these plans to carry out some of these missions, which weren't always combat oriented either. 
Yeah, I mean, and there's, like I said, without the adversary having their input, you know, if all went mm -hmm. well and we didn't make contact, like say we're just driving somewhere to get a resupply, you're still going to do most of these things and there's still a contingency plan for them. So we're talking about, you know, we're moving in four vehicles. Well, one breaks down. All right, fix it or bump plan. Bump plan is crossload people in gear and keep moving. Well, now we got a truck sitting out there. How do we get it later? Um, from there, like, do we keep moving? Do we continue on with the mission? Um, at all like is this like a hey i'll stop we can't accomplish this today or hey we're going to push the timeline or hey we're good move on keep going and in each each part of this plan has as many offshoots as you need it to um based on the situation like you said so it's it's a recovery rope on the vehicle i'm the rope isn't working all right we have chains as a backup to be able to tow it or unflip a vehicle okay that isn't working all right well we need to start cross-loading people or, hey, there's something in that truck that we need that truck. Okay, now we're defending a truck until someone can get to us. Yeah. And baked into that, you know, say we have to sit and defend in place for a minute. How much food and water do we have on this trip? Well, we planned for two days. Okay, we just did a gunfight for a day and we still got a truck that's down. Two days is a real short timeline to be like, hey, we're in the hurt locker already. Mm -hmm. How much longer can we make it with just basic life sustainment stuff? while we're trying to accomplish more complex stuff with the adversary throwing their vote in there. Right. Um, another big one that we, we haven't touched on yet is like the medical piece. And I wanted to bring this up when you talked about, you know, the peaceful protesting or whatever we want to call yeah. it. It is yeah. amazing to me. Some mostly peaceful protests. Yeah. Sure. Uh, is amazing to me. Some people's lack of realization of how dangerous a moment is like that. Not that something bad could happen because it could, Mm -hmm. But the idea that in a crowd of people where roads are closes, closed and businesses are closed and hospitals are already overrun, what are the chances that you get shot, stabbed, run over, trampled, and you get to a hospital in the 10 minutes that first responders yeah. advertise they can do it? Probably mm -hmm. not. Probably not yeah, even. Yeah, more than likely not. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe not even that day. Like, so having that layered medical response plan for something like that, like, being able to stop well, a critical leader or maintain an airway. Yeah. I mean, even and, hours, but the next yeah. 10 minutes, hopefully. And compounding it with, there could be other, I don't know if this qualifies as an environmental issue, but during all these protests, when you're already seeing an elevated number of, um, you know, whether it's just superficial or not, but wounds that require some kind of attention. You mm -hmm. also, we already had people filling hospitals due to COVID-19. So yep. That's further, you know, stresses your plan, further stresses uh, your level of access that you'll have to what I'll say is uh, conventional medical yep. services. Yep. Yeah. Go, you know, try to get into an ER, say it's a day wait. Well, whatever's happening, if you stopped it in the first 10 minutes, great. But is it going to be a problem within 24 hours that's life threatening again? Very well could be. So having yeah. things to either address it or putting in your plan how to mitigate it or avoid it even better altogether. Like, let's go down the road of what if, what if, what if. And if it ends with there is not the time or resources to address this, so we don't lose somebody or lose something critical. Don't take that action unless you're forced into it. Yeah, I mean, and just and in my opinion, a little bit will go a long way with with some of that, you know, basic medical knowledge, like the correct way to apply a tourniquet. Um, will go a long way in instances like that. Basic medical supplies, not, you know, and by medical supplies, like 
be very clear, not a boo-boo kit, you know, yes. the, the Walmart off the shelf, Johnson and Johnson, 18 sizes of band-aids is yep. probably, I mean, eight, hey, if you can carry it, cool. Like you, you'll definitely use it, but you need like an actual like blowout kit. And again, how many people is in the air in that group? You know, yes. can your kit cover that many people? It, it needs to, and probably then some. Yeah. Um, that was something then, for, for mission planning for us. You yeah. know, you talk about it's, it's a criteria of, the military is in the business of doing violence on behalf of the state. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. Um, when you do violence, people are going to get hurt, at least on one side, probably mm-hmm. both sides. So when you're sitting there looking at what task, what mission do I need to accomplish? How many people plus critical capabilities can I lose before this mission's done? And for yeah. you know us, like on an SF team, if you're only working in your group of 12, which would be you fully plussed up, can you can you lose more than one dude and still accomplish stuff? Might be no. Yeah, I guess like that twelve really people is not a lot to to take on a whole set of complex situations and danger. It's already not a lot to begin with. It's one of the smallest uh, elements that the military uses. And that's what I was going to ask. Was that in your experience? Was that typically the size of the group that you were working with? Well, yeah. So an SF team fully plussed up all the, all the jobs filled is 12 guys. We'd usually have enablers with us, you know, advanced communications, maybe extra medical people, uh, EOD to handle those kinds of problems, a dog handler, extra things basically. But Mm -hmm. if you look at, you know, you lose one dude or say you don't lose them, they're not killed, but they're injured. Okay. You got a dude injured. You got a medic that needs to look after that dude. And at a minimum, you have to have one or two people pulling security around that treatment area. There's four people out of 12 because someone yeah. got semi seriously hurt. So you're a third of your people because someone got semi seriously hurt. Are you moving on from there? I'd say probably not. Well, yeah, it would depend, but, and I think that puts a good lens on it though, again, because everybody wants to put this in context of a gunfight, right? Mm-hmm. We all want to train to be shooters and everything, which I'm like, cool. I'm balls deep in that idea. Like I'm, yeah. I'm for it. It's great. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> You know, most of us, I will say in the civilian side, struggle to build a, a four-man fire team with your buddies that you can just, you can practice with on a regular basis and uh, network with and and get even some semblance of a plan built together with maybe, you know, you and your families. Mm-hmm. So best case, if it's, you, you know, everyone and their spouses, your best case, you're at eight adults, but then you yep. lose those adults to, I mean, take care of children, things like that. So um, yeah, it, that really puts it in a kind of a potent, uh, way of, of, of stating how quickly things go from full strength to, what would that be like? I don't know. Yeah. 77% down to 33% yeah. or whatever, rather yeah. or 67%, sorry, bad at math, you know, uh, rather quickly. And it's just things like, Hey, he's hurt. We're in a pull security, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or if somebody's sleeping, you're taking turns sleeping and stuff. I mean, all that stuff becomes considerations yes. when you look at the the overall picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and and that's it comes into another part of the plan. Obviously, worked in is level of training um, because someone with a critical skill, or say you in the family unit, are the only one that trains or the only ones is aware of how to do some very particular but critical things part of your place plan is redundancy in that training, cross training, like yeah. from, from a medical 
perspective, someone got hurt overseas, uh, the whole phrase that we heard over and over again in operations order, the order of treatment is self-aid, buddy aid, aid by the medic, and then movement to higher care. So there's three levels of what do I do? Like, hey, gunfight is still happening and I'm behind a log. Can I get a tourniquet on myself and continue shooting? Mm -hmm. Well, please do that because the gunfight isn't over yet. <laughs> you know, please, is someone yeah. near me that that isn't the medic because I've been rendered unconscious. Now they have to treat me plus continue firing or, you know, the gunfight takes 10 minutes to finish. Was something critical enough that you bled out in 10 minutes, maybe before the medic, it's even safe for a medic to get to you. And then from there, yeah. movement, stabilization, then movement, even just the movement of a casualty. People talk about, I got med gear. Okay. Are you fit enough to drag or carry one of your family members, even a hundred yards, even if you were just off the road a little ways, I don't know. Yeah. let alone drag them or get them back to a vehicle or some of these people that do, I won't, I won't call it extreme sports, but I'll call it like the weekend warriors that do, in my opinion, probably more hazardous stuff than they're ready to. It's like, oh, I, I go very austere, like bushwhacking, hiking in the mountains. It's like, with who? Well, it's like with one other person. And we just, we take our shirts off and we put our heart rate monitors on and we run up this mountain. It's like, great. What if Biff, your buddy, breaks his ankle? Yeah. Now you're now you're 250 pounds of meat taxi that you need to try and carry down the mountain? This yeah. maybe isn't the best idea. No cell phones because... Well, and, you know, and, you're in little shorts and you're not carrying anything with you. Like <laughs> little shorts. Yeah. I mean, and, and do you have the tools with you to, to, um, to amplify your ability to, to move that casually? Do you carry uh, a foldable litter or one of like those canvas ones or, yeah, a piece uh, of strap. Even, uh, yeah, some, some tubular nylon, you know, like can, and if you have that tubular nylon, do you know the right way to actually, cause there's, there's there, it's like an art. You know, uh, we had Fred from uh, Spirit of Systems on, and I've yeah. seen his video doing it. He's like, "Yeah, you just run it this way. It's no no problem. Here you go. We got a strap, got a handle. You're good to go." I'm like, "I need to watch this again. This is <laughs> you know." It's, and once you get it, it's not that bad. But you got to know what you're doing, and and do you? Yes, I would say most people probably don't. Mm -hmm. And I would say what what I like to do. Um, I'm a big fan of lowest common denominator because I know under stress without having hundreds and hundreds of reps, we all are the lowest common denominator with most of mm -hmm. these skills. Um, some of us had a career doing it and it still atrophies versus someone who's like, I watched your video. I try to practice by myself, but that's not an established skill yet from any stretch of the imagination. So stupid proofing things, I call it like if you have space to write notes on something, like everything for me that is a flat surface that I can put notes on in Sharpie, I do. Sure. I write the number of the number of silly iodine tablets that go into a bottle. It's written on the outside of the bottle in Sharpie. So my lizard brain is happening and I'm I've bled out partially and I'm like, ah, uh, how much how much iodine do I put in here so I don't die? I look on the bottle and there's the number. Yeah. And that also helps you if you have to employ someone with you who isn't trained or whatever. Like if someone goes in my aid bag right now, I have it labeled bleeding, airway, vitals, meds. It's yeah. just in tape on the outside written in Sharpie, but I can be like, Hey, someone helping me. There's a pocket says vitals. Go in there and grab the pulse ox, grab the BP cuff, go into the bleeding portion. I'm not going to tell them pressure bandage. I'm going to say yellow package, pull out an OLA bandage, throw that sucker to me. Like the good old uh, kiss method. Keep it simple. Yeah. stupid. Combat multipliers, man. Like if you have to employ somebody hastily that is not spun up on this, how can you communicate to them in the most succinct way possible, how to help you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because that's realistically, you got a spouse that isn't. And for I know for a lot of guys, like I'm blessed. My wife is, you know, mostly interested in all of these things. A lot of people, it's not the case. So, yeah. yeah. How do I make sure she knows to give me which bag I need or, you know, whatever? Mm-hmm. I, I keep it as simple as possible and trying to communicate vital information. Yeah. Even, even minus stress, being able to do things in complete darkness is yeah. a whole other. Like, can you find your stuff? Can not even medical stuff. Like, can you find regular stuff in your pack in the dark? Like, I need new socks or food. Can you nope. find that stuff in the dark? No, I mean, I, I know I can't. I, I kick the corner of the bed frame all the time trying to do just that and yep. zero stress information or uh, situation, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, of zero consequence other than it really hurts, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, can, but consider that, you know, a lot of guys, to our earlier points, right? If I can put a light on it, yeah, man, I'm all about it. The light and optic, and I love it. But, you know, administratively, how are you without that light? Whether it's a bag, I mean, a lot of us don't have the the cash to rock nods, you know. So, yeah. you know, even if you do, um, are you? What are you gonna do? Take it off, hand it to the next person so they can see in the dark too. If they're trying to find some food or a bandage or mm-hmm. whatever, um, it's just it's you have to be able to adapt to that that situation, those circumstances, um, yeah. which may include packing an actual flashlight and not the light on your phone. Yeah. Say. Yep. And <laughs> and doing that, doing that stuff under stress and discomfort. No light is just one of them. Really simple. They put you through a lot of that stuff in different kinds of seer, like survival schools. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, climb into this cold water, sit here for a few minutes. All right, now get out and start a fire with your little claw hands all cold. <laughs> like, you know, your your yeah. sandwich clamps are stuck. Yeah. Or, you I know, mean, you're super hungry. Like it's funny that hangry is a thing. That's actually like a an evolutionary response. Because when you are angry, at least for a man, you're producing adrenaline because mm-hmm. our thing is to go chase something down and kill it. So you're actually at your most like switched on when you are hungry. That's why hangry is a thing. Yeah, It is, it is our body's way of like, hey, we're going to turn on all the stuff you need to run down this deer. Like you're going to need all of it right now in That's, this yeah. short structural event. And I've, I've heard stories, uh, you know, a buddy who he was, a uh, attack P, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I remember we, we spent some time in Northern Michigan, me and my, uh, other buddy and him and learning some land navigation. And he, he didn't tell us a ton, just a couple stories. He's like, yeah, I went through seer training. And so he, I think I don't remember what, what he said next, but then I do remember, he goes, you'd be absolutely surprised how quickly six grown men can rip a live chicken to pieces when you're really, really fucking hungry. <laughs> Uh-huh. Like, damn, dude. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, if you eat those ants, they're kind of like lemon drops. Just don't you gotta like bite the heads off before they bite you. Mm-hmm. Like, are, you are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like, go go ahead. I'm like, no, I have a granola bar. I'm good. I'm yeah, I'm good for today. Yeah. <laughs> Not my first choice. Uh and it doesn't have to ever get to that point if you do, you know, to, to, to kind of full circle. If you plan appropriately, you won't have to be eating insects and but I mean, unless you want to. Uh, mm-hmm. as, as a primary form of nourishment. And honestly, if you're getting ants as your primary form of wildlife nourishment, you're in a pretty rough, uh, rough set of circumstances. I would adventure to guess. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and mm-hmm. so, you know, when we, we started, you know, we talked about how we had, we'd had this piece of a conversation, right. The last time you joined us. So you run 
survive first contact. And this was something that you had mentioned that you were looking, you know, road mapping out. This is going to be like actual class and curriculum that you want to be able to teach people. Is that something that are you there yet? Is that something you're going to, you know, actively be rolling out here pretty soon? Yeah. So the, the outline I sent you is, is just the outline. Um, I have mm-hmm. a more robust version of this with, you know, points and sub points on every piece of this, obviously just, you know, this could go on, goes on and on. And, and once you plan for it, it's just always updating the plan. But is it, is it a PowerPoint? I hear the military really likes PowerPoints. Um, it, as much as I would like it to be. No, it's not right now. It's Fair in enough. a, it's an, it's in a word document or a PDF. Um, but yeah, I, what I'm, what I'm thinking on this portion is being able to advertise it and send out the shell, um, through my email opt-in feature, you know, update mm-hmm. the website and it's like, Hey, this is on here. I already do, you know, like a, a mini survival guide based off, you know, Dave Canterbury sees a survival, just my take on that. It's already really good, um, to, to put it out there. The information's free, a mini medical guide that like the beginnings of Smarch. And then this, it is like, Hey, this applies to your survival stuff. This applies to your tactics. Send out almost like this shell as like a, Hey, here's things you need to address. And then expand from there and either do either some kind of paid live session or paid in-person session or basically like some kind of consult. Like, hey, fill this out basically to the best of your ability and then we'll do a session on it and and tailor it to a person situation because everybody's going to come with something different. There's going to be similar baseline for a lot of it. But until you ask, it's like, well, you know, what's your commute? like to work what's your what's your home life like how many people do you have? you know someone with a large family five six people you're already like oh man like movements are already almost out of the question yeah no and so, i think that really highlights the we, we talked about earlier with the fundamentals being so important because really if you want an in-depth look at it it's it's hard i think unless it is one of those consultative type situations where you ask someone here, lay everything out and then you kind of mm-hmm. troubleshoot it or, or, or war game it with them or whiteboard. I mean, whatever, <laughs> whatever yeah. term you want to use. Yeah. Um, but again, it comes back to a, a fundamental understanding. And again, you won't necessarily be exceptional with only fundamental knowledge, but you'll be far more effective, I think, uh, than, than you would otherwise. Sure. And it's, it's hugely overlooked in the space right now. Um, and we, we've talked about so much already, you know, uh, and it's, it just, it's, and it's odd, right? Cause we see so many contingency plans with the weapon systems. Oh, I got my LPVO and then, oh, I, you know, I spent $300 and some offset irons. And then I got my, you know, Glock 19 with a red dot and I have to have my backup irons on it. And then yeah. it's like, as soon as you get away from your primary and secondary weapon system, all forms of contingency planning on, on kit and gear seem to just like, take a total shit and they're mm-hmm. basically non-existent you know uh do you have a way to solve for what if your sling breaks yep. you're just gonna carry the rifle around i mean do you have some cord you can daisy chain a new sling out of some 550 it's not gonna be great but it'll yeah. work you know stuff it's funny like, like speaking on the, on the weapons piece i'll throw this one out there really quickly um a lot of a lot of dudes carry knives in like in this type of business um mm-hmm. and i think there's a misconception about what a knife is for um, a knife on my kit is I am too close or I can't get at one of my systems um, or someone wraps me up and I can't get at one of my guns. My knife is for declawing. Basically someone wraps me up. I'm digging in their forearms with my knife to get them off of me <laughs> to get space. Yeah. It's not like a, you know, West side story knife fight, you know, that's not it. 
Uh, It's a tool to get to another tool. But but it's part of that pace plan. Rifle, rifle goes down, pistol, pistol goes down, or I'm too close, or someone grabs my rifle and my pistol. I got a knife, and knife don't work. I know some hand-to-hand stuff. Mm -hmm. And honestly, most of it is maiming or kill stuff with the least amount of movement. Right. Well, and I think a lot of people kind of avoid the knife thing. Just I th- It's one of those things I, I feel like if you don't know how to use it, you may actually end up doing yourself a little bit more harm than good. Yep. But again, you know, maybe that maybe that's the, the indicator then that you need to seek out additional training around that yep. to fill that gap in your plan. Um, yep. We you know, had know. At, at Robin Sage, we talked about the instructors uh, bring out a pig. And they're like, all right, which one of you Rambos has a big ridiculous knife? And of course, there's like a handful of people. And he's like, all right, stab that pig. And the second guy comes up. His knife did not have a hilt on it. He hits the rib on the pig and slides his hand all the way down the blade. And laid his hand open. They stitched him up out there. But he he probably should have went somewhere for treatment. He's like, I'm going to finish this for three days out. It's like, or something like that. You know, I'm just going to stab somebody or something. You just tried to stab a dead pig and you laid your hand open because you don't know how to do this. And that's, I mean, it's one of those things you would, you would never give it a second thought. You're like, yeah, I'll kill this animal. Here we go. Game on. Yep. Not so fast. (laughs) Um, But you know what? It makes you think twice. Like, you know, considerations like, does your knife have a hilt? Is it really, you know, designed? I feel like a lot of guys don't want to, they don't want to rock the, uh, the Marine K bar because it's, it's real old school, but I mean, there's also a lot to be said for the fact that they haven't had to update the thing in forever and ever, you know, it just, mm-hmm. it works, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's a reason for that. And I, yep. I can, I can visualize the kind of knife I'm, I'm thinking you're probably talking about, you know, cause everyone wants to have a nice knife with, you know, weird handles and oh, I don't want a hilt that just gets in the way and makes it look goofy. It's like, well, I mean, Yep. Does when you Babe Ruth's baseball swing at this at this dead pig, let alone a live one or a person in a stressful moment, like, and yep. you don't hurt them at all, and you slide your hand the length of this blade, like, ooh, I should have so, practiced this. Was that something when that happened? Like, did the instructors come stitch him up, or was that something? You know, assuming you guys have a, um, I should know this. I don't know what the classification is for a medic. Uh, yeah, the, the Delta is the medic. Yep. Eight, yeah. So. 18 Delta. Yep. Yeah. Did he, did he stitch him up or was it an instructor? Yep. They, they gave him lidocaine in his hand and they stitched him up right out there in the woods. Damn, man. That's shit. Yeah. I mean, and and he, he, he finished it. He, he finished the exercise. He stayed till the end. Yep. A couple days and like medics able to to close a wound and then had enough antibiotics on hand to make sure that they started the round of it. He's living in the woods. Yeah. Um, and to run that, like, all right, well, you're not going to lose the hand. This is going to be painful for a couple days. Um, but he made it. But yeah, get through it. That's, yeah, and that's realistically, that's just the kind of stuff you, you run into. I mean, so, and even basic antibiotics, you know, um, immensely valuable when you yeah. run into a situation. So did he finish? Yeah, I'm assuming he probably didn't, but uh, he, he didn't finish uh, cutting the pig, did he? No. No, it was yeah. like, okay, who else wants to go? And we're like, ah, I think we're, I think we're good. Okay, use a different knife. I don't. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. That's dude. That's crazy. I mean, you know, props to him for for mm-hmm. sticking it out. I'm sure that I'm assuming that was his dominant hand and everything too. So, oh, yeah. I mean, how much can you? 
how much can you really still do with having an impaired, you know, dominant hand gripping things is now immensely. Uh, well, and he's lucky he didn't hit any tendons, so he really didn't lose the ability to grip. It was just painful to grip. If he just sliced tendons down on his thumb or in any of his fingers, like he'd have been in a bad way real quick. Yeah, because that would have had impacts for him, you know, even outside that exercise. Then because oh, yeah. he's not incapable, then he can't be deployed. Yep. Fuck, man. Yeah, that's really. Uh... But stuff like that, it's like if you're going to rely on it in a critical moment, like train and rehearse that piece. If that's like the no shit fallout thing, that needs to be probably the most simple, probably the most low tech, because generally low tech is going to be the most. I would probably say the most reliable, is in like mm-hmm. all else goes to hell. And I have to go to the analog version of whatever this is. I need it to work, but I still need to be practiced in that thing. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like everybody, I know how to stab somebody. It's like, oh, you just watch your buddy lay open his hand on a dead thing. Wasn't a moving thing or a live thing. You really know as much as you think, you know? Yeah. Like you, you practice stabbing anybody, dude. Okay. Then or maybe even, that's not. Or yeah. even if you know, you assume just because you own a gun, if you run out of food, I'll just shoot a deer. Right. Well, okay. So same situation, same rules apply. Have you ever butchered a year before? Do you know how to do it? Do you know? I mean, you have to know to some extent what you're doing. You cut the wrong part of the anatomy, like the intestines open or something. Well, then you got fecal matter all over. It, it can, you know, compromises half of the meat that you just harvested uh, or, you know, whatever else, you know, what other issues you have to understand you know, that's, I don't, I don't pretend to be a hunter. I, I did turkey hunting like one time and I decided it really wasn't my thing, but you know, if that's how you plan on sustaining yourself short of a life or death, I'm just going to, you know, I got to do something situation, um, which again, everything else probably failed up to that point if that's where you're at, but yep. you know, look into it. You read about it, take a class. I, you know, there's plenty of people out there that, that butcher their own deer, you know, mm-hmm. or elk, whatever, every season. Maybe you got an uncle or something that can teach you. Utilize your resources. Yes. Go go learn stuff like and then practice it so it sticks with you. So that money you spent to learn it doesn't go wasted. Like you can carry the learn stuff with you, no matter how much you can physically carry. Like you still have that back there. So it's like, yeah. man, don't know how to, you know, don't know how to only light a fire with a lighter. Know what you need to light a fire, period. And then if you need to on the fly, you can now put all these factors together. How do I yeah. stop bleeding? I have a tourniquet, I have a belt, I have my sandwich clamps or whatever to put manual pressure on something. All yeah. this is, is layers of stuff from I'm carrying the purpose-driven tool for this all the way down to if I have basically nothing, can I still accomplish it? And if I can't, and that's a life-threatening thing, maybe I do a lot more planning to avoid that situation because I can't plan to mitigate it if it happens. Right. There's Yeah, there's just certain things you can't ever lock out of the equation, and that's you just got to be be ready for it at least to whatever degree you can yep when do you so in do you have a timeline for when you're going to start offering this or i mean next year i mean we're kind of already in september and stuff but yeah um yeah at the time i would say time got away from me but it didn't um i was looking to do some ballistics classes for guys getting ready to go out for deer season um my venue canceled on me so a lot of that fell through so i'll have more time to do this um and then we're looking at yeah, through the winter being hot and heavy in this, and then my wife still being active duty. Um, we have orders to go out to Hawaii next May. And that'll oh, be you mentioned that before, yeah. Yeah, like a two or four year stint, depending on how that goes. So we'll have to to uproot, you know, 
search for a training venue again will basically be all digital again until we get there uh, and get resettled and get all the things we had set up here reestablished there to be able to do things in person. So it, it's I mean, definitely going to shift to an online and email and, you know, I kicked around the idea of a Patreon, but I still would maybe prefer doing like a one-on-one or small group yeah. type setting. Like let's send me things that you want. Like I'm all about having a, a more expanded relationship as opposed to, I want to do the class and you show up and there's a baseline of stuff and we cover it. But I've always had the best instruction when it was a very small group and we had some pre-instruction yeah. like here's, here's the kind of the idea with this, but you're paying for this. So you need to be able to use it. So what, what scenario, what situation, what equipment do you plan on bringing to this? And we will work with that and yeah. do it that way. That's going to be the most bang for the buck. So yeah, it's still probably, I'd say within the next 60 days, have an expanded outline of this and be able to send this out through the website um, and then say, Hey, these dates this time through, uh, through Venmo or whatever, throw me this amount. We will go through your plan. Like we will sit with dedicated time. We will talk about this and run through it and do like a show and tell of your stuff and talk through what, whatever it is. Um, I feel like you get a lot, a lot more out of that than any other type of situation. But like you said, this stuff is, it's not super sexy. Um, so that I, I don't think it's something that, that fills a room. If you have kind of a venue, unless you're doing it kind of like a seminar, like I'm just going to talk about all this again, and then you have to take yeah. it home, but having, having the experience with it, and then if, if there's a a venue to go out and practice this stuff, really the practice of this is, hey, on this list, I can pick from this list of things that can happen that we've talked about. And at any point during this next hour or two, it's going to be like, hey, you have a massive bleeding coming from your right femur. Address it now. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, get out, change a tire under stress. How yeah. quickly can you do that? Is your is a tire wrench available? Did you just pack all of your oh shit stuff on top of your spare tire? Like all stuff like this, just it, it all works out in the wash because a lot of times people can't do the practice portion on their own and, and hash it out because they just don't know how things would play out. Yeah. But it's like, okay, let's get together and I will be the controlled chaos for you. Now let's walk through this. Right. Well, and even from a financial standpoint, probably some of the best money someone would be able to spend <clears throat> because to your point, go through what you have. You'll walk through it with them. Mm -hmm. Not, Hey, go spend $2,500 on all this shit. And then you may not need all of it. You may not use all of it. You may already have something that can take that place. And, you know, and also probably not going to get an instructor sitting there going, well, you know, I really like this brand because they're yeah. really great. <clears throat> AKA they gave me a bunch of money. So now I'm going to tell you that you need to give them much money. Sure. Um, like so, I said, that it's a very specific case, you know, like someone's disabled in the house. Okay. Mm -hmm. Movement is off the table. So I'm not going to recommend you go buy a $300 Gregory bag because you're not moving anywhere. You can't. <laughs> That's not really, yeah, it's not the first option or probably even the second or third option. You know, so it's already a major derivation of, of what I would traditionally suggest, but you're not going to figure that out until you have those like smaller interactions. Yeah, absolutely. Where can, uh, so where can people find this is on your site or? Yep. Survivorscontact.com. Um, I've been a lot more hot and heavy with um, Instagram and then it automatically shares to my Facebook as well. They're both just survive first contact with my symbol, the blue and green shield uh, with the med, uh, the arrows and the fire um, sets so all in there. Uh, the email opt-in list is my, like the survival list and the medical list. Um, and as of, we'll say right now, I'll add at least this bare bones of an outline to anybody else who opts in. Um, 
and send that out. That's just in the package free. It's like, I want it, send it, read through it and reach back out. Be like, yep, I read through it. I got questions. I want to do more. Like, let's do it. Like, let's go for it. Absolutely, man. <clears throat> well, hey, thank you for making the time again. This is, it's awesome. It's always you know good to catch up, but this was insightful, helpful. And honestly, I'm going to recommend this to people because it's, you know, in a space where we're so driven by, I need to have the next piece of kit. I need to have what the other guy has because he's successful and I want to be successful. I think this is, you know, it's, what's the word I'm searching for here? People, everyone always wants to be validated. You know, everyone wants that validation. I got, I got enough or I have the right things so I can move on to the next thing. So uh, this is, I mean, I think that this, this is a good starting point for people you know, to validate, I mean, I guess, okay, yeah, validate their purchases, but to validate that their plan is enough, or if it's not, they'll know, have that peace of mind, like, where do I need to, you know, be to make this all effective? So yeah, appreciate the hell out of it, man. Uh, this has been great. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to, you know, sit down and do another one soon. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, one thing before going, it's actually a shout out yeah, for yeah. somebody else. Um, I dropped a, a, a comment on Mike Glover's page for Fieldcraft. You know, what do you want to see next um, for like rifle and optics comparison? Um, and it sounded like he took to at least my suggestion, which was compare something like a holographic site to an LPVO um, to like a prism and put them through the put them through the ringer under the timer as in like, can you use all these for CQB? Yes. Can you use all of them for patrolling? Yes. But like really nail down the timing and say, you know, in non-standard positions or all different kinds of environments. Um, again, not the, not the one, not the one optic to rule them all, but really nail down on, on the pros and cons of those outside of the really generalities that I feel like is out there now. Mm -hmm. um, it sounded like he was receptive. He was like, great idea. We're going to do the video on it. So if you see it come up, I might get mentioned. That'd be super cool. Mike's a, an SF dad and idol, he's, you know, a generation uh, ahead of me in the, in the regiment and done a lot more cooler stuff. So even, even nerds like me get excited for their SF dads to do cool stuff. So we'll see what comes of that. Yeah. Hopefully that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. So yeah. All right, All right man. We'll be in touch. Yeah, man. Take it easy. Thank you again. Absolutely. So there you go. That was my discussion with Josh on contingency planning, we got into, I mean, you guys just heard a whole bunch of stuff, things that we should all be more aware of as we're trying to prepare ourselves, our families, <clears throat> our homes, uh, our friends, you know, our, our network uh, that we've spoken about on so many other episodes and discussions, be prepared for what, whatever may happen natural disaster, some kind of insurgency, all, you know, we want to make sure that we understand from a global standpoint with a holistic view, how to address these issues and planning is along with intelligence gathering, they go very much hand in hand, as we said in that discussion, that's the, the, the most effective thing you can do to be impactful to your own situation. We talked about the pace plan with Josh, right? Primary, alternate, contingency and emergency planning. Every plan you have, right, should have at least that those four degrees. Take it further if you can, or if you have cause to be concerned that you might need to go further. Additionally, and this is something that, that Josh and I unpacked kind of in our little debrief session after we, we finished recording, but was EWAC. So engage, 
withdraw, abort, and compromise. Build those steps, those ideas, those fundamental you know ideas into how you plan. We actually got to the, the, the discussion around the movie Lone Survivor, and that's how EWAC came, came into things and is like, oh, man, I totally forgot, but I wanted to mention that. And it, it's worth pointing out. And if you, you look at it, right, engage, withdraw, abort, compromise, if you apply those, those ideas to the, the story that's behind Lone Survivor, it makes sense. You follow that that progression and you want to have that planning you want to understand when this happens when this may go wrong or whatever whatever triggering event occurs you don't want to be caught off guard and you want to be able to react accordingly that's that's the whole point so this is this is huge stuff you guys and if you're one of these people like myself and you're concerned you want you want to know that what you have as a plan in place is effective it's going to work for you and your family unit whether that's you and your wife you know, in my instance, it's me, my wife, and my two dogs. Maybe you have small children. Maybe you have one vehicle. You have two. Whatever it is, it would be worth the money and worth your time to sign up for one of these classes, one of these sessions, and let Josh help you. I talk about it during the recording there. Such a huge part of what is driven in this two-way community, for better or for worse, is the constant like the constant search for for validation. Did I buy the right gear? Do I have the right kit? Do I have the right brands? It gets to a point where we're at nauseum. We're just buying stuff to buy stuff because we're we want to make sure we have that 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 thirst for knowledge and we want to be absolutely positive that we're positioning ourselves for success. Take advantage of what Josh can do for you, his years of experience and what he has going on. Take some time and go through your plan with him. I, you won't regret it. He's a great guy. You guys just heard everything we talked about for, I mean, it didn't feel like it, but it was about an hour and a half, and you'll be way, way better off for it. I really hope you guys enjoy that discussion. These these more focused uh, concepts, these more focused chats, I'm going to try and, you know, when I bring guests back on a second time, I'm going to try and do more of this. I think it's a really cool way to grow, A, my relationship with some of these just Know, exceptional individuals, but B, give you all the opportunity to hear a more focused discussion on a topic that you may find to be more particularly interesting or something that you really want to know and is going to really help you grow your skill set. So more of this to come. And we're, we're, we're always working. We got, I have several things in the works for some really cool guests that you guys are really going to enjoy. Again, big thank you to Eclipse Holsters, and if you guys are still listening to this, please consider going and signing up for our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash prepared underscore mindset underscore pod. Consider donating some cash, helping us offset the cost of what we're doing here. We can do more, and there's going to be some really, really cool content coming down the line. So be sure to go ahead over and at least uh, give that a look. We appreciate the shit out of it. But until next time, folks. That's all I got for you. It's all she wrote this week. Next week we'll have more, and you're not going to want to miss that one. It's going to be a really good chat with my friend Devin Soto from Tactical Cowboy. It's going to be really good. But until then, everybody, get out there, work hard, train smarter, and be prepared. <laughs>